regular day to day. Uh, just kind of depends. So let's go. Let's go last week. Uh, no holidays or anything. I worked 74 hours, maybe I want to say. So I still do stagiaires or sages in my restaurant when uh, when I do have new hires. Easiest way to kind of explain that. It's an old uh, French term to stage things in a way so you can cook meals. So I'll always give them often salmon or tuna. Okay, give me two dishes. Here's your protein. Get it ready for me in half an hour. No pressure. And I'll say that specifically in front of them. No pressure. So I can see how they perform. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 47. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello folks, Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. A few things first. Click over to my podcasts page, culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts. And from there, you can follow me on Twitter or Minds or Gab or join me in my Eating Liberty Facebook group. I post in there items of note about food policy or gardening or just fun things about recipes and breads that we're making and some things that we're trying, and you can post there too. From that same podcast page, you can also support the show with a donation through Patreon, PayPal, or Bitcoin, as well as make a purchase from my coffee mug store, cranky without coffee, because aren't we all? I have a variety of coffee mug designs from sassy to cute, and the show's logo mug is also available. While you're listening to the show, click over to that podcatcher's review page and leave me a five-star review and also a positive comment. Those engagements Move the shows up in the various podcatchers and show it to more people so more people can start listening. While you're in there, also subscribe so you get updates each week in your podcatcher. And while you're out there in the social medias interwebs, share the episodes with your friends on that social media. I post all the episodes on those various social media links that I have, and you can follow me there and share them with your friends. Because they want to know too. Last thing to do on that podcast's page is pick up my copy of Foolproof Muffins. Recipes that work every time. It's a free e-cookbook. Just leave me your email address and then you can download the book. And once or twice a week, I'll send you an email about what's going on. Folks, the school year is coming soon enough and it's not too late to start homeschooling. If you've had enough of the state schools, Look into the Ron Paul homeschooling curriculum with my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com homeschool. The curriculum is self-taught, and that means less stress on the parents. The Ron Paul curriculum is pro-free enterprise and pro-business, which means students learn to start their own business, learn about money, and they write every day. Tom Woods, Ph.D., has created over 400 videos about history and government. Click over and read the testimonials, such as this parent who writes, quote, She is more focused and determined than I could have imagined. I love to see how proud she is of herself, end quote. 
Help your kids succeed while you free up running around time. Click over to culinarylibertarian.com homeschool to get started taking back your sanity. culinarylibertarian.com homeschool. My guest today is Casey Gonzalez. Casey has been working in kitchens for 18 years and currently holds the title of executive chef. Casey was born and raised in the Philippines, and he came to the U.S. in 1997 and found his passion for food and the food business. He is currently the host of his own podcast, Chef Salty Pork, where he shares kitchen knowledge and kitchen know-how with anyone willing to learn the business. In between chefing and podcasting, Casey is also in the band Sunday Brave, which plays covers of some good old classic rock and roll. His cuisine revolves around Asian-inspired foods and flavors, and he enjoys integrating those into his special. He also loves pork. Welcome, KC. Thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Hey, this is a, this is a treat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. All right, so let's we're going to talk. We'll talk chefing today, but also not not just the food part. There's other parts of chefing that are, I think, less obvious to people who are thinking that all chefs do is cook food. Yeah. That's, by the time you become a chef, the last thing you're doing is cooking food. Yeah. And that's, that's like, wait a minute, doesn't make any sense. So we'll, we're going to cover some of that. But before we get there, let's just do a little bit of your background uh, how you got into this, what you're doing now in your current position. Got it. So uh, right before I got into cooking, I was actually a contractor. Uh, so I did general contracting for, uh, I want to say like eight or nine years. And at the time, I think it was, I was I was doing both part-time. So I was doing contracting at, uh, in the day. And then on the weekends, I'd be the cook at night. So no matter what gig it was, uh, at the time, I think, when I was 18, 19, right when I was starting off, I was already in the kitchen by then, uh, part-time in a weekend as a dishwasher. And then I, I would work, I don't know, three or four shifts per week. And then I'd be the contractor during the day, uh, Monday to Thursday, or sometimes on, on Friday. I didn't work the weekend. Um, and then only after college, I want, I want to say 23, 24 I was, I had an epiphany to myself and I said, what am I doing in college? I'm not studying to be anything else. I wanted to be a cook. I'm wasting my time. So I, I went ahead and finished just two years of college and then I went back home and then just kind of applied to all the, to all the spots that I could uh, with the experience that I had with, it was really minimal too. Uh, for kitchens, and then from there I worked the the line, etc. And it's been uh, just about eighteen years now. Yeah, that sounds about right. Although contractor is an interesting transition, I don't know that that's too often the case. But I do know that just as an interesting aside, Jacques Torres, the Mister Chocolate, mm. when he was opening his first shop and maybe only shop in Brooklyn 
having spent many, many years using an icing spatula and looking at what the work is that a drywaller does, says, you know, yeah, <laughs> I can do that. Sure, yeah. It's it's kind of the same thing. So he he really just dove in and they sort of built that factory all by themselves, which is an interesting thing. And, and there are some, in probably most any job of physical labor, and using your intellect, somehow some of those skills will translate into the cooking world one way or another. Mm-hmm. Chefing. Chefing is kind of a funny thing. No one who no one who doesn't operate on people will say, I'm a surgeon. Yeah. Nobody who doesn't plumb houses or wire houses would identify as a plumber or an electrician, but cook fish just great and well you're a chef so well okay so it's not to say that cooking a fish dish is is a trite thing cooking food well is fine but i i find myself a little bit irked by the uh, by the ease with which people will assume that title and and that might just be my own personal baggage uh, I'm less, less bothered by it now. I just sort of smile at them. <laughs> yeah. I think they really, they don't really know what they're talking about. What has been your experience on the hiring side? So let's kind of take this two parts backward first. What does it mean to you to be a chef? Ooh. And then as the now the person, so your your position, your executive chef. I am right? executive chef. So as the person in charge of hiring, with your idea of what it means to be a chef, Talking to this young person across from you, what's what's what discord do you find? There's a, I think there's two houses, right? And I, I've mentioned this to you quite a few times already uh, when we spoke to a podcast. My my view of a chef is someone who has already traveled, well spoken, can cook every damn dish, can pick out like every every notes, every nuance on a dish that it has, without being too obnoxious, but still knowing what the hell it's in it. That to me is chef, and no matter what cuisine it is, so it can be. And like yourself, you've you've done the pastry side as as well. I haven't gone that route yet. That's why I don't even I don't even get bothered to call. I don't have my cooks call me chef. I I think it's the most annoying thing. I think it's just it's just stupid, <laughs> and it pisses me off. So I don't. I just have them call me Casey, and it's fine. Don't call me chef because I don't feel like I have that experience yet. I don't feel like I lived long enough to have that title. So that's my definition of chef. For for me, it, it's the most, he is the most or she is the most amazing person in the kitchen, can work the line, can do everything, at the moment's notice, knows everything. Uh, the ideal, in my head, what a chef is. Uh, but in terms of hiring, though, nowadays, and it, it falls into two categories. Um, if you are over 30... <laughs> Or if you are under uh, thirty, so meaning all the all the people that I've been that I have the pleasure of working with are all vets. Meaning they've had they have more experience. Than, I mean, they they have more kitchen experience than I am alive, and I call them chefs, even though I'm technically the exec uh, above them. Um, does just the sheer experience alone for for what they can give uh, gives merit? to their work ethic and and yeah that's that's one of them and then two the younger generation which is the under 30 and what i call the um 
the eh, <laughs> there's like no, there's like no words to describe them because there's so many of them, and you'll you'll often get the oh worked ten years, oh worked five or six or seven, but then you start seeing the actual experience that they have, and I'm not trying to say that these um, that these companies or these uh, employers are any worse than mine is, but I'm looking for a certain set of skills. So if I said uh, to to this person like, "Hey, can you give me a brunoise on those uh, on those carrots and those uh, onions?" and if they look at me all funny, then it's something different because they've had training in McDonald's or Burger King or you know IHOP. That's the experience that I'm mostly getting the uh, the 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 lot of resumes nowadays, and it's really tough to find really good cooks nowadays because nobody wants to be a cook. Everybody wants to do something else. Nobody wants to do uh, the effort and the time to what uh, we've done for so long and put the time and effort to. So it's ah, it's such a hard, such a hard teeter that you're kind of trying to balance. You know, it's funny, and you're you're not wrong about that. But the thing that's funny, curious, not funny, haha, is that's probably an age-old problem for anybody. Yeah. So probably like the contractor or the journeyman electrician or plumber or uh, I, I would hope less so for the surgeon. <laughs> but but there, there's a gumption and a drive which can be a useful thing. And that's you want to see, in, in especially in the crafts, driving a desk, I don't know where gumption comes in. But in the, in the things that require an intellect and a skill in the hands – Having a person engage in wanting to excel beyond his or her own skills is kind of a thing you look for. Think, well, this is really cool. So this is a person who probably can be taught. Mm. Versus, I and I don't think that everyone's like this, but I think the vast majority. Well, this, let's clarify the point. Uh, you and I are probably in a variety of chef groups on different Facebook things, and there seems to be at least two things there there's a lot there are the people who are asking legitimate hey you know what i'm stuck here i need some help here's my question looking for genuine information versus the kids who hey look i just planted these tater tots rate my plates (laughs) uh no i'm not going to do that so there's there's the people who want to be chefs without any recognition of what it takes to get there, thinking that the title alone, by saying the word, I breathe you into existence, well, sorry, that's just not how that's going to go. And yeah. there, so there, and, and that's, I remember as a kid, I wanted more than I was able to do, but I wanted it as opposed to just demanding, call me this, like, and go away. Oh, yeah. So I, I think that there's an interesting point there. I, possibly the thing that's changing is fewer and fewer people are coming to the door with that drive to spend what ends up being many years of grueling toil to get to the point of competence to run the fish station. I mean, not every, Mm -hmm. now that's that. So running the fish station is sort of an inside vernacular for, um, what a kitchen would look like. Some small restaurant kitchens aren't going to have what the so you know this is called the brigade, where mm-hmm. the the each station each thing. So the grill has one or two cooks. 
the, there's a station just for vegetables. There's a station just for fish, and and not every restaurant can have that. But the the concept is that we're going to divide some of the, we're going to um, divide some of the work labor and make the dishes go out the kitchen faster. So that's anyway. So, but still to go through the process of learning how to saute a piece of fish the correct mm-hmm. way or saute a veal cutlet or a chicken breast or roast a leg of lamb. All of these things are different and people just, well, I did it once. Isn't that enough? <laughs> Sorry. No, it's not. So um, since you are not the owner, you probably don't work the full-time job of chef and owner, which is a bigger bite. But yeah. as the executive chef, what does your day look like? When do you go in? When do you come home? On a regular, not holiday week. Gotcha. Uh, but a quick point to you, though. The only, and I don't even mind the lack of experience, but if, if anything, if, if your listeners all do want to become a chef per se, learn poissonnier, learn how to cut, learn how to, learn how to do the things that you have to do with your knife first. That is the most important skill that you can learn in the kitchen. I cannot teach you that. I don't want to teach you that because I don't have the time to teach you that in my kitchen. I can teach you how to cook. I can teach you how to be better at it. But I cannot teach you the skills before that. So that's like a slight tangent to uh, before your question. But <laughs> my my regular day to day just kind of depends. So let's go. Let's go. Last week, uh, no holidays or anything. I worked. Oh, good God! It was seventy four hours maybe? I want to say. Oh, part time week. week. Yeah, part time week. It wasn't bad, and it's. Let's see. I was off. Oh, I'm looking at my calendar right now. I was off. I was off Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday last week. So Monday. No, I'm sorry. Let's let's start with Sunday because Sunday is essentially where the day starts. Sunday is where inventory happens, at least for our corporate. And even if it was my uh, establishment altogether, I would do inventories on Sunday. Inventory starts on Sunday. I would count every item in the building. Uh, come 7 a.m. Um, and then by around 8.30, 9 o'clock, I would set up uh, the dish uh, station because I don't have a dishwasher uh, Monday or Sunday because I don't have labor for it. And get that set up in about half an hour, another 20 minutes or so, I would be in, um, I'd be in the computer just putting in all the orders for the morning so it comes Tuesday. So the way our corporate works, everything is like, sectioned off on different days when it comes in our big protein orders are tuesday thursday and saturday and those are two days before so if i needed something to come let's say i don't know tuesday i would have to order it sunday for fish so my inventory runs on my main proteins are three day shelf life on protein so it's really tough to kind of keep the cost all together because it's all fresh it's all fresh fish Um, all the produce gets ordered daily and we have, you know, all the local ones that uh, here, the, the purveyors that we, we order from. Uh, dairy are all kind of, it just depends which one it is. But Cisco is like the biggest, the biggest house that you can order from. Um, no matter where you are, they're, they're, they're the largest. So a lot of our business go on to there to, um, to get some of the dairy, some of the, the, the spec uh, items. Because they, I don't know if you knew uh, Cisco would uh, find a company house for you to make the spec of your sauce. Or let's say 
I don't know, you have a special spec for tartar sauce or cocktail sauce. Uh, you'd, you'd get that spec. They'd see if there's a provider in their list that can give you said spec. And then they will divvy out that amount of work to them. And then they'll just keep it in-house. That's Because that's all what Cisco is. It's just a big... It's like an Amazon. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, that's new to me. I didn't know they did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're just a huge... They're just a huge house that just keep you in spec in the house. Or I, maybe maybe there's another place somewhere that has a similar spec. And if that passes, you can kind of use it. Whatever, etc. cetera. Um, and then Tuesday... Tuesday is fun, or rather, it's just hey, let's go, let's go to Monday. Monday, I will do the final numbers of the inventory, meaning I get to post it. On a typical week, we would make, I think last week. Hold on, let me let me pull up my phone because I have it on my phone also. Uh, eighty nine. We did eighty nine thousand um, last week in sales. Um, not not gross. Yeah, that was sales. Uh, gross would be a hundred and twelve without taxes. So 112 gross, 89,000 uh, keep uh, for the bottom line. And we we, we churn quite a bit uh, at the restaurant. But the final of the numbers come Monday. By 3 p.m., I need to have it submitted to corporate. Um, and then we have like a, a weekly or monthly budget that we have to hit. So a good percentage would be 34%. But I don't want to get into that too much because it gets a little, you know, over your head. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are crucial days. Tuesday, I do the new specials that gets launched on Thursday. So meaning last week we started with uh, wild salmon. So Tuesday, I get to play with, okay, we get wild salmon for this week. How are we going to prepare it? Where can I outsource the, the items? How are we going to order around it? How much of the, the protein we're going to keep in house? All the logistics to come for Thursday. Wednesday is a free day. There's nothing happening. So usually we detail the hell out of the kitchen. Thursday is much the same as Tuesday because I need to get ready for the weekend. So all the orders that happen on Thursday um, need to go like you need to think of three business cycles on Thursday's order because we got to keep it all the way till Sunday. So it's a weird it's a weird swing. But anyway, the days range from 10 to 14 hours daily pretty much so that's kind of that's kind of like a, a normal week it's not too crazy and like i said like a part-time right then so got all that done and then now say you throw in a new year's or a valentine's or easter or mother's day oh. then just for the week from 74 hours then how much does it jump yeah it jumps to like 100 so <laughs> do you uh i've shared with dan uh, i have this photo on my phone and um, I'm gonna send it to you so you uh, your guys can view or if you ever post it on your uh, on your blog post. But uh, I messed. It was uh, it was Mother's Day last year, and we were all just kind of hectic. And I was I was on fumes. I was running on fumes. I think it wasn't even Mother's Day. It was two days before, and I was already clocking in at a hundred hours. I was I was exhausted. I hate using that word. I don't like saying it, but for the purpose of this example. Uh, it's not a healthy thing, but I forgot because I was drying ramekins in the, the oven. It's, <laughs> it is. It's a normal thing. You kind of do it on cool. So there's no hot. There's no hot air coming out. It's just cold air kind of blasting. It makes the expediting of the the, um, the drying of the ramekins a little faster. I inputted it there for like two minutes, not even. I turn around. 
one of my cooks came in, just turned on the oven. I didn't realize it. He, he has a habit and it's, it's a good habit, but I was using the oven specifically just to dry these ramekins quickly. And if you're ever in the kitchen, there's these green trays that are few and far in between for everywhere else. It's a cooling tray that you put your food in. So it goes into a rack, into your walk-in so it can cool properly. I have like 30 of those in the kitchen. That's where the ramekins reside and I place it into the oven. I then turn around and I'm like, why Why does it sound like the oven's on? He's like, oh, I turned it on. I'm like, no way. There is no way he just did that. Now, granted, I didn't tell him. That's my fault. Uh, but I turned around, lo and behold, the, the plastic had now melted into the oven racks inside. And um, the just the sheer horror of my face, because now I'm like, oh, man, I'm not going to give this to my dishwasher to clean because that's just mean. So I didn't have ramekins for that day. <laughs> and the lovely and smell of burning plastic. Yeah, yeah. That's what 100 hours does to your brain, kind of. Yeah. It hurts. It hurts. And it's not... It's not a healthy thing, but that's what we do on on big major holidays like that. Yeah. Oh, and also for um, just for monetary issues, kind of to explain the big swing, Mother's Day, we'll do $40,000. Day, Mother's Day alone. That's half of your week. Half of my week. Just on that one day. So, yeah. It's a lot of business. It's a lot of business. It's a lot of business. You and I have had some conversations, both on your podcast and just talking. And so I've, I know, and we've already mentioned some of this classic kitchen training idea. And mm-hmm. for people who don't know what that is, part of that, I mean, I've mentioned also the brigade. It's we've already talked about very long hours uh, in the old now for good or for bad, the old French model of the brigade and the apprentice system uh, came with. A lot of hours, mm. a lot of verbal abuse, very little positive feedback, and a good bit of ridicule. So it was far from a perfect system, but in that system, we got the likes of Paul Bocuse and Fred Jardet, Mika Garrard, Roger Verger, Joel Rubichon, Daniel Blue, and a whole slew of others. Mm-hmm. So there, while the methods can be faulted, and there's a lot to fault about that. There was the ability to produce some, to this day, names we recognize as icons in the food business. So now we look to whether or not you like him, Marco Pierre White or Gordon Ramsay. They've Mm. also had experience in that kind of a system. And granted Fox has its own over the topness, but there's some <laughs> application of that still for TV, but they have another job and that's to get people to watch. So let's say cooking is like baseball or basketball. Speaking mm-hmm. for myself, I am not, nor would I ever be a Jerry West, but mm-hmm. could Jerry West or even a Magic Johnson cut it in today's NBA? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know either. Uh, in your kitchen, when cooks are coming looking for a job, what's their pedigree? Which is what we we talked about this a little bit, but I want to pursue this a little bit more. What is the difference really in the cook now versus the cook, say, twenty or thirty years ago? Is it can is there something that you can say this is the thing? 
there's a, there's a clear difference. So I still do stagiaires or sages in my restaurant when uh, when I do have new hires. Okay, uh, explain a, explain what that is, please. Yeah, it's just a it is a fancy word meaning just for them to cook so I can see it. That's the the, the easiest way to kind of explain it. It's an old uh, French term to stage things in a way so you can cook uh, the set meal. So I'll always give them often salmon or tuna. And just I'll have them at the uh, the pantry. I'm like, hey, give me two dishes. Here's your protein. Have at my pantry. Get it ready for me in half an hour. Um, no pressure. And I'll say that specifically in front of them. No pressure, so I can see how they perform. I, I'll often invite the uh, the hire or the hirees um, on a Friday because that's the, that's like the softer night. It's not as busy. But during the busier lunch shift, so between. 3 to 5 p.m. where we're kind of popping, not sort of, you know, but it, it will you will feel the adrenaline kind of kicking in and I'll put them right into the line. It's like, hey, okay, these are these are your two dishes. Go ahead. You have 30 minutes. Go. And I'll just, I'll be right there in front of the uh, the line, just kind of watching my, my staff still, still running the show, but keeping a keen eye on what they're doing, uh, monitoring their knife skills, see if they actually know what's up. And I'll give them a, a whole fish, by the way, so I can see if they know how to cut it down, break it down, uh, what they do with the scraps, because um, I I often save a lot of stuff because I don't I don't like throwing away things. So a lot of the bones, and like I said, Poissonnier is one of the the best the best stations and the best skill that you can have um, in a kitchen because it gives you the absolute um, handle on your knife skills because it just teaches you everything. Uh, and then once the, the half hour is complete, uh, they would then present it. And then I can actually see it if they plated it correctly. Did they bother to clean the, the plate? Is the, the plate underneath clean? And that's like the most thing too. Not a lot of people look at that when they present it because sometimes it's all a bunch of crap underneath. They don't even pretend to wipe it or the plate is dirty, etc. cetera. Um, not putting any stupid garmanger on top that you cannot eat. That's my pet peeve of all time. If it If you cannot eat it, you should, it should not be in a plate. I, I don't care how beautiful it is. I don't care how pretty it is. If I can't consume it, why would I give that to my guests? It would, it would just be a choking hazard. And the clear difference is to answer your question, people that are in the 20 to 30 bracket, like 20, 30 years old, do not know any of the skills or it's severely lacking thereof, or they're just fresh out of high school or just kind of right into college, um, have some kind of experience on a fast food chain, etc. cetera. Uh, don't understand the actual, uh, the pressures of the kitchen. That's why I put them on a Friday night to, to see if they know how to move. If they say the, the correct things behind my staff, like the word behind, that's a crucial thing. I don't know if you've ever gone over that with your, um, with your listeners. Uh, in the kitchen, oftentimes you would say behind when you're passing with hot or sharp things. Um, behind your compadre so they don't turn around and get scalded or get cut by a knife you would say behind or even if you have nothing they may have or, or even if you have nothing you just say behind that way you don't bump into people and just you know cause an accident and my pet peeve uh my second pet peeve on my arm actually and i've it, it happened quite a few times um and i've i've fired three people for it they've opened the oven without telling me and then, or without saying behind, or the oven's open, or it's some kind of whatever, just to tap me and everything. 
And then I turn around and, and burn my arm. And I actually have three scars on my arms where it just kind of seared uh, the meat, per se. <laughs> oh, it's rough. So they, they, I've gotten rid of them, quite a few of, uh, of those people. I don't care if they had crazy good experience either. I'm like, nope, you're gone. You're just a hazard. You're, you're, not, you're not with the team. I don't care how busy you get. You're, the safety of everybody else is important, more important than what your plate is right now. And even more so for me, because I'm running the kitchen and how dare you bear, how dare you burn me. <laughs> but then there's the, the, I call the 40 to 50 bracket, which is my favorite. And that's, these are the people that have, have been at it. And I don't care if you've worked for um, any kind of kitchens or how, how, how little experience it is. You've put in the time and you know the pressure. There is a, uh, there's a photo I'm going to send to you a little later too. And it's a, a SpongeBob kind of. Uh, a meme per se um it says on the top uh during rush hour spongebob all in a fire running around hectic and then underneath uh longtime employee with like a house on his back he's burning and he's like regular shift on a saturday experience so that's like that's like the meme right there and that's what I attune the uh the 50 to uh the uh, the 40 to 50 year olds that have put in the time and effort and know the business and know the pressure and i i strive for those people but they're so few and far in between they don't want to leave where they're working because you know pension and um, insurance and all the good perks that you would if you'd stayed uh in your uh, a tenure in that restaurant right. um but man i i jump for joy if i find somebody with that pedigree because one i can hone it Two, I know the, the experience. I don't have to worry about it. Three, they have the knife skills. If I haven't got, if I haven't drilled that point across any further, please have knife skills. That's like my one. That's like my one thing in my kitchen. Know how to cut stuff. I, I don't want to have to tell you. Um, just just know how to use the knife. So those are the those are the two brackets that I call in my kitchen. Uh, in hiring perspectives, kind of give you um, an insight on them. Right. And so there's a couple of things. One, we started this conversation with the question, what does it mean to be a chef? Mm-hmm. And I made the joke that the last thing you're going to do is cook. And so so giving these these young cooks a fish to break down, well, part of being a chef is butcher skills. And that's now you know, once you have a four-legged animal, whether it's a cow, a deer, a goat, a sheep, whatever, that's pretty much all put together the same way. Mm-hmm. And you need, to, and once you know where the muscles are and how to separate the muscles and get the good ones from the bad ones, which means the tender ones from the stew ones, well, then that's just going and doing. Cutting, cutting round fish, salmon, trout, it's all mostly the same. Um, mm-hmm. If you get a tile fish, <laughs> you're going to get some bones in there. <laughs> as like cutting steel, but that's just a function of the fish. That doesn't change. That doesn't change the fish. So knowing how to cut a fish, how to clean meat. So from the chef's standpoint, that's critical to know because those are the two things of all the ingredients you're going to buy. That's where the most amount of your money is, and if you can't serve that meat on the plate and get the premium price for it, well, fine. If you can save your tenderloin scraps and turn them into some sort of a sauce 
Okay, great. So it tastes better, but you didn't get your money out of that. Casey, let me take a minute to tell the listeners about De Bruno Brothers Cheeses. De Bruno Brothers is a Philly-based cheese and specialty food store which has a wide selection of Italian cheeses and cured meats, oils and vinegars, and snacks, including the black lava peanuts and cashews. De Bruno Brothers has gift sets, prepackaged sliced meats and cheeses for antipasta platters, as well as a cheese pairing club. Click over to their main page, com slash cheese, to see their full selection of cheeses, cured meats, specialty foods, and gifts. When you're planning your next big get-together and want the spirit of brotherly love, think De Bruno Brothers and click com slash cheese. That's com slash cheese. Now, let's get back to the show. So that's one of the skills that a chef needs to have. So the other skills chefs need to have is the communication skills oh my God, to say yes. behind you, to say the oven is open, to say that pan there is hot because it's not just you anymore. And you made the point as the person running the kitchen, part of your responsibility as the chef is to make sure that the customer is getting the best food that the kitchen can produce. But if the chef is not paying attention to how the cooks are communicating and putting the other cook's safety in jeopardy, well, now you've got a cook who might be out for three or four days because of a serious injury. You've compromised the quality of service for the customer who may not come back because they, well, I'm going to give this place a shot. Well, man, that was the worst meal ever. I'm not going back there. So all of these things become like, well, those are remote possibilities. Yes, that's true. It is a remote possibility, but... All it has to happen is one time, and, and and bad things come. So the chef's responsibility becomes really a lot more than than I think a lot of people recognize, and that's not cooking stuff. Yeah, not a lot of people get it too because they don't show you in TV. What do you see in TV is so wrong. It's only it's only half of the equation. That's not enough of it. That's that's just that's just the face of it, kind of. And even so. I want to say that's a quarter of what you see in actual kitchens, especially if you are the chef and the owner, because one, you got to do payroll, uh, you got to pay the bills, you got to pay your staff. That alone is such a tall task, such a tall task. It is. And And I have 60 in employee. I have a lot, a of, lot people. of people. So you, you've given me a perfect springboard. So on those Facebook groups I mentioned a few minutes ago, you probably read the same idiotic question that I read. I'm going to go get <laughs> – let, let me be specific about which idiotic question. I'm going to go get a job in this town. What rate should I expect? And oh I, I just I, – I can't even respond anymore. So w- without getting into the weeds of all of this, I want to talk a little bit more – well, I'm going to talk a bit more. Well, I don't want and I don't want to put you in a spot with with your particular business because that's not really fair. But I also mm-hmm. uh, let's just recognize that wage is the, the the value you bring to the business. That's all that it is. You're being paid. Mm-hmm. Wage is just a payment for labor. Now there are plenty of people who are going to balk at that, and that's okay. 
Send me an email. I'll, I'll clarify it for you. <laughs> but, so if so, this young cook who you have on a Friday night does these two dishes, and he's seasoned them well. They look pretty decent. The bottom of the bowl isn't messy because that means he's cleaned up his station as he goes, and there mm -hmm. isn't a whole lot of waste, and he did a pretty good job trimming the fish. And all in all, this is a good job. So this young person comes on as a cook, and he gets paid the X dollars an hour of wage. How does that cook, how does any cook, become more valuable to you? And therefore, you say to the owner, say, you know what? John is really doing a good job. And I can demonstrate that John's doing a good job because he's adding value to the business. This is how now we, we need to re reward that with a higher rate. So how either generically, either generically or specifically, how does a cook become more valuable to the boss and earn a higher rate? I can give you a specific and it's, it's, it's the one example that everybody craves to have. And the perfect example right now um, is my dishwasher. Um, I won't name him so that it will, will become anonymous, but just to give you the example of what he brings to the table. Always comes early, maybe 10, 15 minutes, you know, has, has his own thing, has a good time. Uh, always uh, converses with me, make sure I'm okay, make sure he's okay, uh, asks what I need to be have done or anything specific. This is before his shift. He doesn't even clock in yet. And he's interested in what needs to be done. So that's just, uh, it tells you what his attitude is. And then once he does clock in, he'll bang those out. And then my favorite of all time, and I've, I've, I've bumped his raise already because for the one true factor that he brings to the table, chef, is there anything else you need done? Those are the most beautiful words I could ever hear from anyone else. Because one, people will always try and when I say people, all the staff would just always try to just put their heads down, keep on doing their seven hour, eight hour shift without having to do anything else more than what they're doing. But this guy took the time to do what I needed and then some and then ask for more because he completed it. If you can bring that to the table, that is the that is your success in the kitchen. Because then I put him, he's now on the fry station. And fry station is nothing to bark at. It has the most prep in my entire restaurant. All prep goes into that station. Um, uh, all my garmanger people will go to that station because the, the back prep is also where the, uh, the, the fry station is at. So they always converse what's needed. Um, so he sees all the prep. And for, for him to take on that and know all the cooking stuff with it, Granted, frying food doesn't take much, but there's such a fine technique on getting just the perfect calamari, and this guy nails it every time. And the apps will fly first, understanding tickets. So I oftentimes in my kitchen, if they don't have too much experience, I'll throw them in a fry station so I can see their work ethic to see if they can follow spec. Everything is weighed and labeled in a fry station and all, all the stations, but more so in that particular um, side of the kitchen because one, they have to label it. Two, there needs to be like stickers and um, kill dates. So since everything is fresh, everything has uh, a three-day portion life. So meaning if they portioned it Monday, uh, by Wednesday, end of day, 
um, that portion fish or whatever it is needs to get thrown out because that's the allotted time that we have uh, for corporate standards. Granted, obviously you don't want to just throw away good fish. You want to keep checking it, and that's my that's my job. But in a generalized rule, three day shelf life is what we go for. So the guy just keeps asking for more stuff after I've told him what to do. And man, and you can you can attest to this. Have you ever had a cook say that to you? And don't you just feel so overjoyed? You're like, wow, you know what? Let me teach you something new. And that's when my brain starts to go. This guy really wants to, to get at it. He wants to put the time and effort. Let me teach him something else. So then I start moving him into the oven station, which is right next to the fry station. Start teaching him all how to do the prep. And my best, uh, my I have one poissonier on Fridays to cut like the majority of the fish for the weekends. And he's there. So I've started putting him next to him so he can kind of learn how to do the cutting of the fish. Um, and that's that's oh, that's that's like my favorite station, just cutting up the fish. And there's tons of it that comes through. <laughs> and uh, the man's name is Eric. I don't mind telling uh, telling you guys that uh, I love that guy. He's been with us for 14 years since day one, since the restaurant opened. And um, I've only been in this restaurant for eight years. So I've known him for eight years. The man can churn out fish. Oh, my gosh. And it's so perfect, too. Perfectly portioned. If I want eight ounces or 10 ounces on the cut, nice and neat. Uh, nothing bleeding. All the all the bones are out. Um, the, the carcasses look so nice. So, yeah. That is, that is the one thing that I can tell your listeners uh, to have the drive and to say to whoever your supervisor is, hey, I've done what you asked. Um, give me something else. That is that is the most golden things um, for my ears to to uh, to hear. Now, I, as you mentioned, it asked me the question. I was thinking of one guy in particular, many many years ago at the Ritz Carlton Naples, who would ask the question, but he'd rock back and forth on his feet, just so he was always moving. So if, when it was time to move and go get something, he. <laughs> <laughs> it would shoot off and go get it because he was always ready to go. It was like the, uh, like the coach in football. Never stop moving your feet just in case you need to go left yeah. or right. Well, this guy was, he was ready, man. It was, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was a lot of fun working with him because it was, it was always got the point where he was pushing us to be better because he's yeah. like, oh my gosh, he keeps taking my work. And now what do I have to do? So yeah, it's fun yeah. when it happens. And that, those are the funnest employees. Yeah. Those are the best employees that you can ever ask for. And I have three of them. Wow, you're a lucky guy. Yeah, I know. It's so good. I have three out of ten on the weekends. Uh, or three three of the three of the employees that always ask for stuff. Ten total employees on the line during Friday and Saturday. Uh, and three of them are with me all the time. Oh, that's, so it's just it's such that's a treat. Awesome. Oh my very, gosh. very cool. Uh, so I want I want to ask a little bit about because we were talking a little bit here about uh, about pay. And you mentioned mm-hmm. your your receipts for the week, and so I, I have this idea that the vast majority of people who aren't in the restaurant business, well, actually, in any business at all, may not really understand the expenses 
of any other business. So I really don't understand what the expenses are involved in being a contractor or a plumber or an electrician or a surgeon, although as the surgeon, you really don't, I mean, the hospital bears those burdens. But the, the point is that I don't really know what that costs. And hospital is a bad mm-hmm. example because there's lots of other things involved in that. But uh, so if you're running a taco truck, well, I mean, what's the, what's the, what's your, nut on the truck alone and all the other things. So let's if you just give a basic percentage breakdown. So you have you have you you have a let's say ninety thousand dollars for the week and from that mm-hmm. ninety thousand dollars, because taxes have been paid, you mm-hmm. now owe basically you owe labor, food, rent or mortgage, utilities then mm-hmm. all then you've got to pay for the dishwashing company and the soap mm-hmm. and the linens and the soda guy and the beer guy. We may just call that all into like a bar cost. So once all mm-hmm. of these things are done, you've got $90,000 is 100% of money to spend. All of the expenses are gone without, I mean, just narrow, average it out. What on an average week after expenses are paid, what percentage of that 100% is left for, for actual profit? Got you. So I think the term that you're looking for is the PL profits and yeah. loss. So this is the, the bread and butter of what I do. And this is primarily 90% of what I do in a restaurant. And I can give you a, a month over it because I think it would, it would benefit if, you, if your listeners kind of understand um, how that goes. So this is what I mean by the TV shows don't give you the, the full background of what's happening in the kitchen as a as a chef owner or just even just the exec because he's paying quite a bit of it i have the opportunity of being like just about 90 percent on my restaurant is going through me the only thing the corporate is handling is um the bills of the actual restaurant meaning the the electricity the water uh, and, ma- and maintaining the name uh and then three their their actual like produce going and because we get specific fish that only gets um sourced from my company so that's like the the bulk of it but everything else i pretty much handle with my general manager so in a monthly basis let's see if i can break down to you there are three cogs so c-o-g-s costs of goods sold that's what the uh, what we call it all the time uh and profits and uh and loss so there's food cogs there's beer cogs and then there's everything else so there's it's in in threes so it's in thirds pretty much and it just depends what restaurant you are in or whatever, how that attenuates to whatever it gets divvied out to. But food is 90% of the business. Wine and, and liquor are 10%. And then like a small 1% is like your, your main inventory, <clears throat> excuse me, that gets, gets kept in house. So if I took it into a monthly basis, my total overhead for the restaurant to keep the, the lights on is fourteen thousand dollars, so that that covers my that covers my my bill, my monthly rent, um, my um, my water, my electricity. That's it. That's fourteen grand right there. And then uh, the total overhead of food that I order on a weekly basis, excluding holidays, like last week, I think we did seven thousand dollars worth of food, and that is um, that's after the fact. So seven thousand. Is what I ordered for the entire week. Uh, different days, obviously, but from Monday to Thursday, it's maybe I don't know, a couple grand. 
from Thursday on is like five to 6,000 just on protein inventory in the house. Um, and another, I want to say another 2000 for produce. So together, let's just generalize it $10,000. So we have 14 grand for the building and electricity, 10 grand for all food. And then liquor and sales, those, those are a little weird because we keep a lot of it in house because we, you can't just buy one bottle of, you know, of a Corona or one bottle of a bullet bourbon or something like that. It needs to be it needs to be purchased in cases so the bulk price uh, attenuates and gets relieved on the cost and uh, the restaurant isn't paying for so much. But the liquor sales are just about three to 4,000 the entire week. So if you think about it, um, to keep my restaurant going, let's give it a whole round figure of $30,000. That's what it keeps it running every week. It gives the, the overhead going, uh, the food going, and the liquor. And then in terms of uh, the people getting paid, um, I want to say we'll divvy out, I don't know, another 20 grand or so for the week. And that's that's how much my restaurant goes. If my numbers are correct, if my sales are two to T, my profits and loss, the bottom line, meaning the, the, the last line of that entire list is what my gross is and what I take back after the fact. If that's all done correct, I should take $40,000 to my pocket. That's how much I make. But, <laughs> and there's the big but. Um, did we have a shortage of cook? Uh, meaning, did I have to give overtime hours? Uh, did, I have, did I run out of food? So thus making customers not want to go to my restaurant. Um, did I have excess amount of callouts in front of the house? And that, that affects severely on the quality of everything. When you don't have servers, it's the most annoying thing. Um, managers, are they clocking way too much? Or rather, are they they're getting too much overtime? Because I think there's allotted overtime for my restaurant, for managerial staff. Um, the only one that doesn't clock in are myself and the, the general manager. We both don't do it, but everybody else clocks in. Um, and then the overall... I call the the 1% that nobody really understands is the comps and the voids, meaning if somebody messed up on a cooking steak or somebody dropped like 20 pieces of the wild salmon and it's a feature, or if somebody, you know, burned the freaking ramekins like I did the entire, (laughs) that all gets caught up. That's all monetary. That's all value. And, you know, breaking plates. Oh, my God. I forgot to tell you this. Um, one of my old bartenders um, was uh, pushing the cart oh, instead oh, of pulling oh, 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 like oh, the glass racks. Yep, um, six hundred dollars worth <sighs> of china just out. And I, oh, my my heart broke. The, the china is the most important damn part of the kitchen. It's it's what keeps me going. It's the, all the plates and all the, uh, and I'm, I and I looked at her, and I was like, nope, don't say anything. Nope, just. Just walk yeah. away. Just, just go away. Let me clean this up. Just, just go. Just. So it's not yeah. now. It's not six hundred six hundred dollars worth of plates. It's twelve hundred dollars worth of plates because you got to buy them again. Yep. You got to buy them again. Exactly. Got to buy them again. And it wasn't even like the old plates. If it was the old plates, I wouldn't have been have been as a half as mad. It was like the new. It's like the new square ones. The the new rectangle ones. I have, it's all the pretty um, fun ones. The, yeah, it's all the pretty ones. 
and it, it's such a premium. China, good China is so expensive. Uh, and we keep them expensive because it needs to last in the dishwasher. That's why it's so expensive in China. You can't just buy the $1 piece of ceramic because it will disintegrate in the, uh, in the dishwasher. Um, oh, that, that, was, that was so heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. All that China just gone, broke. I was mad. I was mad. So that's how my week is. So if I do that all correctly, out of the $90,000, $30,000 needs to be divvied out to everybody else, all the cogs per se. And then my my bottom line should be $40,000 if everything should go well. But as everybody knows, um, and like I mentioned, the, the glasses that was broke, uh, the fish that was expired or we had to throw away or you know, X, Y, Z, all totals to that. So I'll tell you right now, what, what I bottom line last week was 22 grand instead of the Yeah, four. and that was my point because, I mean, if you're telling me you're doing 40, that's, that's it's a it's very, very high percentage. <laughs> and I think some yeah. of the best restaurants, that if often. they get 6%, yeah. they are, they're on Mecca. That's just amazing. I know. So, yeah, no, we don't do that. And then, so... And these are things that chefs would think about. So one one of my own, this is a small one, but the example illustrates the point through lots of other ways. Uh, the bottom of the celery, you now the cooks will just mm-hmm. chop off the bottom inch or inch and a half and oh. throw it away. Well, it doesn't take very long for all of that to add up to an entire case of celery. So yeah. if you think about Absolutely. buying a case of celery, let's say a case of celery is 30 bucks. Well, this is just one piece. But at some point, you're buying a $30 case of celery to throw it into the dumpster. Well, it's not just mm-hmm. celery now. Now it's, you know, maybe you're peeling too much off of the onions. Well, it's just an onion, but it's not just an onion. How many bags of onions over the course of the years? Now we have a couple of cases of celery, a couple of bags of onions. Let's say the cream. Let's say you're not putting the cream over the over the ledge, over the line to melt oh the butter, to, melt, to make it hot so you can pour out the very last of it. At some point, you're throwing away a case of cream, which is $45. Pretty soon, yeah. we've got a couple of thousand dollars of cash in the garbage because we're not paying attention to things that don't look like they're money. And Yeah, not people, they don't look at it like that, though. You know, they look at it as food. But I look at it as, as 20 cents, 30 cents, $1.50, $1.15. all adds up. $3. You think it doesn't yeah. add up. Every time you go shopping, buy two packs of gum. And at the end of the end of the year of shopping, how many packs of gum did you buy? Which is how much money did you spend on gum? Well, that's the same thing in reverse. When you're throwing away food in a restaurant, as a kitchen, that's that's income. That's I mean that's that's yeah. it's we, we paid for the thing and you're throwing it in the garbage can and well, I don't understand how does that work? So if you're throwing away four ounces of celery every time you're doing it, that means you have to go when you need four more ounces of celery to get some of the new one. And it, I know that that's not an easy point to illustrate, especially mm. people who don't work in restaurants and don't necessarily see that. But these are some of the ways that expenses in the restaurant business add up a lot. And oh. and so it's so. Speaking of expenses to restaurant business, I want to segue with the idea of expense and food. And do this. So we've been talking, and most of what we're saying, we're talking about opinions. 
And that's really, mm. I mean, this, so the fact of your business, that's fine, but I don't want you to give me details because that's not really my business. But where mm-hmm. these are opinions about what it takes to be a great chef. I think that there's, I think there's a common agreement among most of that. Now it's going to be a little bit less common agreement. And that is cooking schools. Cooking schools mm-hmm. are, I think, still really, really popular. I think they're still going strong. And I taught cooking school. I taught at a culinary school in Tallahassee for a couple of years. So I mm. understand that side of it. But I can tell you as an instructor, I saw some people who had no business, none, being in a cooking school. And the administration was almost derelict to take their money. It was almost yeah. a violation of their rights to take money from them, selling them the idea that they can cook because they couldn't. It was just mm-hmm. a mistake. It was just wrong. So, yeah. So let's say you're going to go to cooking school for two years. Well, two years of time is two years of time, whether you spend them at your restaurant or in a cooking school. Um, the quality of information you obtain is in part due to how willing the student or employee is willing to absorb the information. And we've already talked about that. So taking away the time commitment as making that just neutral, now there's the expense part. Colleges in general, and this is becoming kind of a a talking point, are very expensive now. Really expensive. I don't think there is a reasonable way that a person coming out of even a second or third tier culinary school on the top ones, I think, are, are prohibitively expensive. Uh, you come out of a culinary school owing anywhere from what forty to eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's it. That's that's a whole lot of money to own for an education mm-hmm. you could have gotten on YouTube and 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 your local taco truck, or even McDonald's, because yep. at least McDonald's has heat and stainless steel and the pressure of service. We got to go mm-hmm. make those burgers. Let's move. So there's at least something to be obtained from a McDonald's, if nothing else, than just like, wow, this is a very, very fast-paced world. There aren't any knives in McDonald's, really. I mean, maybe one or two for the lettuce, but I don't even know if they do that anymore. But there's there's a lot of hot. There's a lot of ways to get hurt between hot and slippery floors and and deep fryers. And there's a lot that can happen. It's very, very chaotic. And... If you don't like McDonald's, you sure aren't going to like working for Daniel Blue. It doesn't yeah. get easier. So it doesn't. In your opinion, and this is just Casey saying, this is what I think. Do you see the value, dollar to knowledge, of going to college? Absolutely not. Nowadays, or even back then, or even if, if you okay, and I don't mind sharing this, and he. I've asked him, and he, he doesn't mind. One of my one of my staff right now, he went through culinary school, and he felt as if that he was the bee's knees, you know, because that's how you feel about it. After you've gone to college, you put in time, he did a four-year degree. Um, he thought he was the bee's knees. But in his experience, and he's he often shares this too, he's like, you know, I just, I just wasted $65,000. I was like, why do you say that? He goes... All of this stuff that I learned 
in college. Yeah, one, it is cool. You get to be an experience. You get to be away somewhere to focus on that. But you can only take so much because you're not working in an actual restaurant. You're working for the school, and they're kind of teaching you how to go about it. Uh, so you don't understand the true pressure or the the true um, the true the true business uh, that needs to be done of said restaurant. And he goes, uh, just by working here, and when he says here at my restaurant, everything that I learned in the four years, I learned in the seven months that I've been here. And pertaining to, to him, I was like, well, that's, that's just kind of cooking. You know, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. This is, you're putting the time and effort to. But yeah, I, I see a merit to it, but I don't suggest it. I just go ahead, look it up on YouTube or go ahead and go to your, go to your restaurant. Go to your local restaurant. Ask them if you can, ask them if you can work. Be like, hey, I really want to do this. Um, I really want to learn the business. And hopefully the chef will be like, you know what? I see merit in you. Let me hire you. Let me put you through the paces. But that is such a small margin. I don't, I don't even do that. Unless I really know that you're going to work for it. I'm, I'm not going to take you on. So to answer your question briefly, no. I do not see any merit to go into culinary school. It's a waste of money in my opinion. You can learn all. I can teach you all the skills in six months in my restaurant that you need to do in that schooling. But the only thing I can't teach you, dude, that the school does is managerial stuff. And that's where it kind of shines a little bit because they give you a little snippets of it while you're in school. It's like, hey, this is how, you know, you do front of the house stuff. You know, how you set up a table, what a brigade means, etc. Like, I'm not going to teach you that in my restaurant. I'm just expecting you to know that one station, what that dish is called, how that fish is prepared, what goes in it, what are the ingredients, how it needs to taste when it comes to the window. That's all I'm looking for. Um, but in school, you get the chance to learn all the, the extra finer t uh, details um, on those moments. Well, and I think I also agree with you. I, and I'm not even convinced that a school is necessary for the administration side of it, because not everyone's going to want that, even though having, yeah, a sense of, having a sense of throwing away the salary butt and not emptying the cream container completely. I mean, that's just, that's that's illustrative. And I can show that to anybody in five seconds. They're going to say, wow, on the four quarts of cream, I got an extra cup of cream? Holy smokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sets the point. Done. Now we've already made the point. We're over here. Uh, I don't, you don't need school for that. For the technical stuff of learning how to run a P&L, well, you know, in the aggregate, basically it's the same, but every business is going to have their own particularness. And of all of the cooks who get hired, very, very few are going to really need to know that level of stuff. So yeah. if, if you get to the point where you need to have it, well, someone will teach it to you. Um, yeah. So it's not my story. But David Burke, years ago, who is, I think, still the only American to have been awarded the French Master Chef title, the MOC, when he was, mm -hmm. when he was a young man... He went to France and walked. I forgot what, I forgot whose kitchen it was, but he said, "I want to work here." But let me just come in and peel potatoes. <laughs> okay, whatever. And, and I'm not even sure that I'm not even sure that the okay was immediate. But I think he peeled potatoes for a month for free mm -hmm. at this French restaurant because he told them, "I'm committed to wanting to learn from you, and I'm going to show you that I have a level of commitment." So peeling yeah. potatoes for a month is a pretty boring thing to do 
and it takes a fair yeah. amount of resolve. Well, I, I, I think you're going to have a hard time finding somebody who doesn't say that David Burke is an extraordinarily talented chef. Whether or not you like him or his food, that's just opinion. I don't care. Uh, I actually had dinner next to the guy a couple of times. I like David Burke, but he's he's a very very talented chef. So mm -hmm. that's the, the point is that the people who are going to do that I'm here, I'm going to work here. I'll come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day until you hire me. I think that that's rare, no matter what generation we're talking about. Yeah, but it does pay off if you can do it. So you've mentioned to me what it takes to get into your restaurant. Got to come in, uh -huh. do half an hour on the line, cook a couple of dishes, don't be messy, be clean, season well, cook well, and, and present yourself nicely. Uh, aside from not communicating and opening the oven door and burning the chef, <laughs> what is it? How does, let me ask you, how does one stay on in your kitchen? Um, showing up on time. What is what does on time <laughs> mean? So the schedule is at three o'clock. That is what okay. time is on time. If I tell them nine o'clock and they're not there eight fifty, you're not on you're time. That that is just how I run my clock. And if I say, uh, or rather, the way I schedule, it's it's a little funny, I should say, because I don't. There, there's two crews. There's a the morning crew and there's a the night crew, and there's a little time in between when there's nobody in the restaurant, just me, because I don't have the the labor or the capacity to have anybody on. So in those times, it's typically just myself and the sous chef or myself or the kitchen manager. And we will run the kitchen ourselves for it. And it's not really that busy anyway on those uh, couple hours. But the it, it's more apparent in the morning crew than the night crew to show up on time. And nothing aggravates me more then, hey, chef, I'll be five minutes late. Really? Like, you couldn't leave five minutes earlier before, you know, to get here on time? Because I have a set amount of work that needs to be done in a certain amount of time. And if you're not here during when I need you, that will push me back on what I have to do. And then I have to kind of go about it and rewrite my schedule. And <laughs> that's like 80% of what I do also. Not just the numbers or not just how um, everything else kind of goes about, but... Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a tall task to begin with. I don't know if you can hear me, but I've lost your sound. All right, so we were talking. Did you think you finished up the process of how you stay on? I believe so. Yeah, so you you stay on by showing up on time. That is at least for my kitchen. If you have and they know it, they, I mark it down on their names. Um, I have one employee that's always late. And I and I exclaimed from a more, I was like, "Hey, um, I'm taking an hour from your shift next week." And he looks at me with puppy dog eyes. I'm like, "Nope, I told you this. Show up on time. You you show up late again, another hour gets docked, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Now, is that is that ideal? No, but at least he will try to be there early or right on time when I need him to. And he's he's been doing it um, quite a while. Um, he he's been on time more so. So I his hours have been on uh, replenished, uh -huh. let's just well, say. very good for him then. <laughs> All right, so tell us what is where and what is the name of your restaurant in case there's somebody next door listening and says, hey, you know what, I'm going to go meet this guy. You know, I would love to tell you, but I cannot okay. in terms of. However, what I can tell you, though, and they can't tell me no to this, 
I am the only fish restaurant in the Garden State Mall in New Jersey. <laughs> so if you have any deductive skills at all, yes, you can figure out where to go see Casey. Absolutely. It's not Very- that hard. I'm the only fish well, that's fine. <laughs> and I certainly, I am not here to get you in any trouble with anybody. That's not the point of the show. No, not at all. Oh. They they don't mind promotion, but it's I I can't technically. Not, tell no, you worries, no worries, no worries, no worries. That's that's fine. That's rules are rules. That's okay. I'm okay with that. So, <laughs> uh, I know that you have a podcast. I don't know if you have a blog. Yes. So give us some of the places so people can find and follow you on social media. Absolutely. So right now, the podcast is can be looked at or followed, or etc. On Chef Salty Pork. Uh, salty pork because I'm a salty person. Pork because I love pork. I live for the swine. I am a I am a fanatic when it comes uh, when it comes to pork products because I'm Filipino. I was raised in the Philippines and our cuisine revolves around the pig and I I just love love the flavor of it. I've eaten it from head to toe. I think my favorite part is the jowl, the the guanchales as they call it in um, mm-hmm. in Italian cooking. Good. There's just something about it. It's just like it feels like a different cut of meat from a different animal entirely. It's not from, it's not from a pig. I don't. I can't explain it. It's just unless you've had it. No, that's. Um, there's no way of me. Interesting observation. As I'm thinking about that, that that bears a truth to it because it, it has. Yeah. It doesn't have the. So if you're used to say like a pork butt or even a pork tenderloin or a pork loin it doesn't have that texture to it and it's much it much fattier so it's got that to yeah. it but because the well maybe because of where it is the muscle fibers are short no matter what because it's just not that big of a piece but yeah that's yeah. that's an interesting point mm-hmm. it's it's oh pork man from another world it's it's such a weird thing yeah that's how my that's how my brain works so just like a quick snippet the way I see a plate is how much it costs them, probably. Um, and uh, to give you a quick example, while we're kind of uh, in closing, uh, my favorite diner recently done uh, have a special do the the early bird special, and it's <laughs> everyone kind of knows that from any diners or if you've been in the East Coast or even in the West Coast they might have it. Early bird specials are just like five or six bucks or whatever. And I've, I've spoken to the owner quite a few times, like, hey, um, not to like back down on your business model. I love you, Diner. I come here all the time. But you're giving me $5. And here's what the plate entails. It's two eggs. I always order it over easy because I love runny eggs. Um, a piece of sausage, like the, the breakfast sausage, and some hash browns. That meal in itself should have cost 7 bucks or 8 bucks to make profit. But he's selling it for 5 bucks, So he's losing money. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Jersey diner, or uh, if you can recall, um, the the coffee is free, so it just keeps pouring. So that's like another overhead. So I'm like, and I asked him, I was like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I know I'm losing money, but you're here, and a hundred of these people are here, and it gives them another excuse to be here on another day, because I am giving this free meal." I was like, "You know what? I salute you, but I wouldn't do that to my restaurant." I would at least make he's at least a dollar margin. out of it. At and, least twenty percent. Doing volume and margins. Yeah, yeah. I, I see his play. I get it. Uh, I don't do it with my restaurant, but I, I absolutely understand it. 
Well, if if, but, um, if he's doing that for dinner and he's also upselling on the dessert or or something else, he's he's if somehow he's making the money. Yeah, yeah. You know, he knows the model. I don't know it, but for my for my deduction, because right. I, I I don't know, I don't know, I don't know his business model. I don't know his bottom line. Um, he gets a profit out of it, even though he is selling it at a free cost. But anyway, we digress. Again, uh, Chef Salty Pork, you can find it on all the podcasts, on all the major platforms out there, uh, on Anchor primarily. Uh, on Tuesdays now that I do it uh, with my sous chef and I, we just kind of talk about our day, how it goes about in our business. On Thursdays, uh, you've actually heard Dan. Uh, he's been on the episode there quite a few times. Uh, and there's some follow-up episodes on there that I'm not going to spoil because uh, they're really, ooh, they're so good. And some special tidbits happening soon. Uh, Dan, I'm pretty sure we'll let you guys know what's going to be happening, uh, at least on my end, because I've, I've asked him for some help on some endeavors. And uh, the most important pertinent part is uh, patreon.com slash pork and wine. And I'll send that to Dan. And you can you can actually see what we do uh, at the restaurant, like little snippets. I can't show you the, the logos or anything, but I can show you little, little specials, uh, little meals, little little snafus of what it kind of feels like to be at the back of the house. Back of the house is the term that we use for the, the kitchen. And um, yeah, that's how you can cool. find me. Well, thank you for your time today and your day off. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> and absolutely, um, we will. You and I will be talking again for sure. And when we oh, yeah. find a good reason, we'll have a we'll have you on again. Yes, absolutely. This right. is, thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. All right. Bye bye. All right, folks. That's gonna do it. You can find the link to Casey's podcast on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 47, as well as banners for the affiliates mentioned today. And on the podcast theme, if you have been thinking of starting a podcast or starting a blog, you'll need hosting for your listeners and readers to find your show notes page or your blog posts. Use my affiliate link, culinarylibertarian.com slash bluehost to get your hosting. Send me a copy of your receipt and I'll send you some bonus electronic materials to help you get started. And Casey has an offer for you podcasters who want help editing. Check out culinarylibertarian.com slash kcedit or click the link on the show notes page. I know that I gave you a few links there, but just in case you're driving or cooking, all the information is at the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 47. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.